0: News about Daryl, other than he he needed a, a break, and so he's uh, resting and securing so that next week he can really come forth with some new material, help us of course, the material it's new, but it's old because most of the stuff we have has been written two thousand three thousand years ago, and it's always new. You just would need to be keep close to God and, and uh and Him all the way. I worked on this sermon. Uh, I thought I was gonna give it during the days of unleavened bread, so it's kind of a carry over. Uh I made some changes in it and um so if you wanna note a title to it, I wrote it down as Reconciliation Passover and unleavened bread, the meaning and how how we can grow and what God's intent seems to be for each and every one of us you know prior to the Passover and the first day of the first day of the first month, we were admonished to uh, start looking into our lives and see where we stand and, and see our past and see what changes we've got to make and and sometimes we bring the, clo- the skeletons out of the closet because we didn't shut the door hard enough, I guess. Passover is shutting that door. We're supposed to overlook that. We're supposed to realize that when we take the Passover, we're at a point where we see our faults and we're there to seek God's help and His forgiveness. And so Passover is reconciliation time. Now maybe people don't think that, but reconciliation is a time when you change from enmity to friendship. You know, up to this point, we've we become enmity with Christ. What does enmity mean? It's a, it's a state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. What do you think about that? When we come to Passover, were we not hostile toward God? Did we not have a certain amount of, of looking down? thinking, uh, sometimes we think how great we are. (laughs) But, you know, we're human and we do make mistakes. So when we take the Passover, what's actually happening is God is reconciling Himself to us. He wants us to be His children. He wants us to be the bride of Christ. And so we are at enmity with God. And so he's taking that step, which is a enmity being a mutual change brought about by both parties who have been at enmity. So there's a, there's got to be a change between both parties for God and for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, we read there, (coughs) Paul speaking as God inspired or Christ inspired him, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So we're to give up the old life, and when we were baptized, we changed from the old ways to the new ways. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself by... Emmanuel the Christ so here God is saying the way my part of this deal of reconciliation is I presented Christ to take to pay your penalties so he wants us to be reconciled and he wants to reconcile to us verse 19 and to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So he's telling us he gave Christ not just for you and for me, for the church. He wants to reconcile the world. He wants to get this animosity, this opposition or hostility that we might have. He wants to get rid of that and so he makes that first step. He tells us in John 3.16 that he sent Christ into the world. For It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish. So he's really got this burning desire for us to be a to, to forgive us. Because we can go to Psalm 136 and every verse explains how, how God has mercy. His mercy never comes to an end. But people, human beings, have difficulties one with another. We sometimes don't want to have mercy, do we? And yet in verse 17, God... Uh, John 3.17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn it. So Christ didn't come here as a condemnation force. He came here that the world might be saved. It was pre-planned. God wants reconciliation. But sometimes we, we fight it, don't we? We have a difficulty with that. Romans eight thirty two, And he that spared not his own son. So here God says, look, I want to be this joy. I want this peace. I want this unity so bad that I will give my only begotten son. We have an instance of that where God told Abraham... Uh, you have to sacrifice your son, your only son. But he was showing that this is what he's going to do in the future. So he said, he spared not his own son. So God did not say, okay, this is the God that built everything it was made for him and by him, John chapter 1. But he said, I'm going to sacrifice him for everybody. But delivered him up for, all, for us all. And how shall he not with him him also freely give us all things? So he said, because he did that, he's willing to give us everything. he's willing to, to be out there and help each and every one of us. Colossians 1 verse 20, showing that God 's effort is toward reconciliation, and the Passover, Christ is the sacrifice. He died Passover day. But he showed this way back in in Exodus when they killed the firstborn, saying this is what's going to have to happen. He says, I want this unity. I want this peace. I want this joy that can come by all of us being in the right frame of mind. Colossians one twenty, And having made peace through the blood of the cross... By him to reconcile all things unto himself. God says he did this for a purpose. Christ had to die so that we could be at unity with God. And by him I say whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. It was all the purpose to bring peace. Mankind's gone backward. The church has gone backward. It just seems that the nation has its difficulties. We're fighting all over this world. We're fighting inside this country. We fight inside the church. And we find difficulties even here in Anatol. But God doesn't want that. So, he sacrificed Christ to do his side. Because, remember, reconciliation is a two-part deal. It has to be on both parties. On both parties. And God's side was, look, I want you to be a part of my life. And so, I am willing to forgive you, and the only way I can cover your sins is that the Creator, Christ who did the creation, go back and read John 1. Read 1 John. It all says the same thing. Christ did all this. And God was willing to sacrifice Him for you and for me and for the world. For everybody. So if Passover, then, is God's side of reconciliation. What is our side? I believe, at least in my mind, I feel that unleavened bread is a time which we start eating of Christ. I sat at the table there several days, different days, eating unleavened bread, and thinking, you know, this is Christ. This is representing Christ living a sin-free life. And in order for me to be reconciled to God, I've got to make some changes. I want to be like Christ. And have to say, can I walk that mile in Christ's moccasins? You know, they got that here well, where they say you're walking in the sand and whose print, footprints do you see too often we see our own but do we see ours inside Christ I did a, a, about three sermons talking about the mirror of life that mirror is the scriptures it tells us how to look and act and be like Christ and it's a difficult task sometimes Our job is to get ourselves looking like Christ. And so as I ate that bread and I thought, well, am I I just complying with what the Scripture said? Is it just something that I, I eat this bread, I'm going to eat this bread for seven days, and then as I sat there at the end of the seventh day I watched the last ray of sun go down so I can run out there real quick and get bread I mean is it is it it just that important I I mean I thought of that when when I was thinking of that I thought about atonement do we go out there and try to drink the last drink as the last ray of sun disappears over the horizon or eat that last bite of hamburger well what about unleavened bread we eat that trying to think am i looking more like christ or is it just a you know it's am i committed to this is this my life or am i just complying with what the scripture says if we go through the Passover and we have hatred and we come out the other side and go through the unleavened bread and the next day we find animosity we find fault with one another have we complied or are we just is it committed are we really is this our life so as we eat the unleavened bread what do we do how do we respond I was told that that a person did that. They could not wait until the sun went down. Well, already, if that's their ideas, if that's in their mind, they might as well eat it before then. Because it's, you know, Christ said it's not just complying, it's being committed. It has to be what you do. So I'm not saying it's wrong not to go out there and eat bread, uh, It's it's the attitude. I've got to get back into. So, we've gone through, and it's been a week now. How are we doing? Do we have animosity? Do we have problems? Do we find fault one with another? Do we look down on somebody else? My daughter at the Charlotte's funeral, she read a, a verse, and... Uh, you know, and if we would take and go through Passover, go through unleavened bread, and then sit down and think about those things. I watched a, uh, a video here Thursday night, I think it was. Might, might have been Friday morning. I, I can't keep up with time sometimes. I you know I lose it. It was by Gary Smalley and called Keys to uh, a Loving Relationship. And, uh, and the keys he brought are on biblical terms but he doesn't recognize their biblical terms and in the second part he talked about looking for pearls of great price and um, the way he did that he said when you come to a point where somebody does something that upsets you instead of Getting angry and lashing back, you look for something good in what they did. Maybe it's going to help you someplace. That's gaining a pearl, you know. So Philippians two, we gain that. But let's go to first. Go to Philippians two twelve. Philippians two twelve, where it tells us what we should be doing every day. Should we be out there trying to find? A way to solve other people's problems? Philippians 2.12 Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only. So here Paul says, look, when I'm around, we do that when the minister's around, we're going to go the right way. We're going to because the minister can see me. So he says, not that you obey just because I'm there. But he says, but how much more in my absence? I'm not around. So here Daryl's been gone for a week. How we been doing? Do we because Daryl's there? We make certain commitments and we walk a certain walk, but he's been gone for a week. Do we still are we committed or are we complying? That's what it gets down to. We want to reconcile ourselves to God. And He wants us to reconcile us to Him. He's already done His part. He sacrificed Christ. What are we doing? Paul goes on and says, work out your own salvation. Not your neighbor's. Not the minister working out yours. But work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have a, you have a job to do. You've got to start looking back there and saying, that leavened bread, every day I ate a piece of bread. And I know it's difficult. But you ate that flat bread and it's not puffed up. And sometimes it tastes good and sometimes it doesn't taste good. And other times, you know, i got a, a, a daughter who can't wait for unleavened bread to come around because she doesn't follow God or do or religious specifically, but she likes matzos and she likes the egg and cheese matzos. So she can't wait just to get. So there's sometimes that we can't wait to eat the matzos or the unleavened bread. But what does it mean to you? Are you looking at that and saying, you know, I've got to change my walk, I've got to change my talk, I've got to change my mind. In my heart to look after what God has to do. Do I really want to? You have to ask yourself, do I really want to be a bride of Christ? Do I really want to be a child of God? Do I really want to be a part of what God's doing? Or, is it just a ritual that I go through every year. I go through the Passover. I go through unleavened bread. I go to Pentecost. I go to Trumpets. I go to Atonement. I go to Feast of Tabernacles because that's uh, what the Scripture says I have to do. But that's not what Christ wants. He wants commitment. He wants you to want Him, and you're willing to make the changes. As much as he wants you to change, and as much as he was willing to make the change and willing to pay the price Romans thirteen so oh, it's Christ really wants us to be a part of his way of life verse eleven romans thirteen eleven and that knowing that the time now is high time that you wake out of sleep. Oh, here Paul was inspired. This is, what, 2,000 years ago? Or for us, close to 2,000? Paul said, it's time to wake up. You know, it's, it's high time. Well, for them at that time, they're all asleep. Today, we don't have a lot of time left. We set up a... Uh, a 50 or 49 year lease out here majority of us are not going to live that 49 years so it's time to wake up see, smell the roses you know make the changes for now is salvation nearer than it was when you first believed that was for me 52 years ago i remember paul flat making a sermon our sermonette one of the first ones he made there in houston and he said you see this stage? We're like over here. You're 25 feet across the stage and he goes over there to about 5 feet from the edge. And he says, this is where we are. In our lifetime, which might be at that time, was almost 50 years ago, in that period of time, many people are go to sleep. Many people are sleeping. So for them, how much were they awake? as the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. (laughs) That's what unleavened bread is. Learning to put away the things that pull you backward. And if you eat the bread and you think about it, you know, Christ never sinned. Christ said, I say what the Father wants. I do what the Father wants. But we sometimes can't wait for the seven days to be over because it was a chore. No, we don't think it's a chore or we don't admit openly it's a chore. But if we're ready to emerge back into the world, are we not acting and living that way? He said in verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day in the day and not rioting and in drunkenness. You know, those are things we should be putting behind us. If we're going to reconcile to God, we've got to put away drunkenness and clamoring and rioting and wantonness and strife and envy. Boy, those are sometimes hard to deal with because we can look at somebody else and envy them because they did more or doing more or they can do more it's it's like uh, Gary Smalley was pointing out uh, uh, there's the person that is outgoing and can make relationships and is enjoying life and you're opposite and so you become envious of that person and so you get angry and, and you find fault with them well if we've taken and eaten the unleavened bread, are we making that change and saying, hey, isn't it great that here's a person that can cheer somebody else up? Maybe I need to make those changes too. But, to, but put you on... So here, Passover, unleavened bread. Unleavened bread says, put you on the Lord Emmanuel of Christ and make not provisions for your flesh... To fulfill the lust thereof. Sometimes we just can't have enough. We've got to have donuts and cake and cookies. And so we, we're sitting there when the sun goes down with a cookie in our hand. You might as well eat it. Not wait till the sun goes down because you've already broken it, you've already gone contrary to God. Christ said it's easy to go His way. Uh, We don't think it. We think because we're not oriented mentally that way. But in Matthew 11, Christ says in verse 30 My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we don't make it that way because we find it difficult. It's being committed, I believe, is, is something that we really need to do. We need to feel, recognize that I have to change in order to be reconciled to God. You know, Darrell went through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Covered that. Very important life teaching methods to being reconciled with God. You know, Matthew 7 says, judge not that you be not judged. So what do we do? Find fault with somebody else? Are we not judging them? In the prayer in Matthew 6, Christ said, first of all, recognize the great power in all of God. And then He says, give us this day our daily bread. And then He says, forgive me. Do we get on on our knees and say, you know, I made these mistakes, but if this guy doesn't change. Well, in the same relationship, in the same category, in the same way that I forgive other people. So, do you forgive other people? Do you find fault with them? We're human. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. We all have to eat. We all have to sleep. We all have to breathe air. We all have to have bodily functions. And there is no two people that are identical. And it takes everybody to make things work right. But we can easily look out there and have animosity and find fault reconciled to God. But this person does these things to me. Well, God says and tells you specifically in Matthew 25, He said the way you treat other people Because remember in Matthew 25, he was talking about being in jail or sick or hurt or out of food or out of clothes. And he he said, If that was me, would you help me? And we would say, You bet. If Christ walked through the door, we would do anything. If we knew that was Christ, we would do anything and everything. But Christ said, the way you treat the person walking through the door is the way you treat me. So He puts a pretty tough deal there. It's not easy. And yet Christ said, my yoke is easy. Easy because He said, if you love me, you'll love your fellow man. Christ doesn't want you to give up in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He tells you to, st- to be steadfast and unmovable. Just. Don't let things direct you and pull you away from the knowledge of the truth and the ability to go about doing things God's way. In Galatians 5, or 6, rather, Galatians 6 and verse 7 said, Be not deceived. In other words, Christ knows that you can be deceived. Satan, the devil, is the master deceiver. He knows every trick of the trade. You cannot outwit Satan. You might think you can. By yourself as, as a human being, you are no match to Satan. So here he says in Matthew, in Galatians 6, Be not deceived. God's not going to be mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So we want to be reconciled to God. So we got to look at the way we live our life. How, how do you live your life? That's what he's saying. If if your fruit is the what you do every day, and like it said earlier, Paul said if if you are only complying and doing things because There's a man there that you're fearful of, then you're not fearful of God. Because if if that's the only time that you're going to make the changes, he says, it isn't going to count. You have to be that way whether there's anybody there or nobody there. Because God is always there, He sees everything. So what you sow, the way you live your life, the way you treat other people, that's what you're going to reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall reap flesh, reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit shall reap uh, spirit uh, shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And that's what you want. And that is reconciling to God. When you are at a point where you are not God's enemy, and, and it's it's you as an individual, it's a personal deal that has to be done. Let us not be weary in well doing. Sometimes we get flat tired of helping other people, <laughs> and we want to quit. And sometimes because they say things or they do things that just irritate you to to, the bottom end, God says, don't be weary in well-doing. Do it anyway. Because then you're going to reap coals of fire on their head, not on yours. In Hebrews 12, we're told to look back at Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses, go back, read chapter 11. These people were the ones that were reconciled to God. And they're examples to us. Let us lay aside every weight. I mean, he said, look, Sometimes we just get burdened down with so many things. And He said put them down. And the sin which so easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race. We've got a race to run. We have a race to run. And how are we doing it? Christ told us through Peter... Second Peter, he said, you have to have faith, and with faith you have to have virtue and virtue. You have to have knowledge and knowledge. Temperance. Temperance is something probably hard to come by. I mean, I, I know that I have a lot to work on when it comes toward temperance because I have a hard time controlling my, my emotions sometimes. And with temperance, patience. And patience, you build Godliness. And with godliness, brotherly kindness. Uh, sometimes difficult, isn't it, to have the brotherly, the brotherly kindness and love. It goes on in Second Peter 1 and verse 9. Chapter 1 verse 9 says, but, that, but he that lacks these things... What things? Virtue, knowledge, temperance, godliness, patience, brotherly kindness, and love... But he that lacks these things is blind. If you lack these things, you're blind, God says. And cannot see afar off and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We have been forgiven. God's side of reconciliation was the sacrifice of Christ. That purged us from our sins. That wiped our sins out. We've got to do a little bit of changes in our life. We really have to do some changes. Christ told Peter, and maybe I'm stretching this a little bit, but I like to think on this. Christ said to Peter, Do you love Me, Peter? So He really wanted Peter to be reconciled to Him. And so He says it three times. Love, You really love Me. you know. You have these things to do. And I got to thinking it wasn 't only Peter that was said to that, maybe maybe not them words, but you know, sometimes we give up because it seems to be too hard the The task in front of us is too hard. but think about a man named Noah that to his life, they never saw a vessel big enough to put hundreds of animals in, carry tons of food and to float because they didn't have they didn't you know, they didn't have those things and so god said to noah build me an ark i mean do you think uh, a vessel what did noah say come on i mean there's nothing ever been done like that you asked me to build something so massive and it's just me and my two my three boys and you want me to build this thing and God said to him, Do you love me Noah? If you really love me, if you really want to be a part of my life, you will do this. Now you have a choice. God says to you and to me, Do you love me? Then you have to walk this way of life. You've got to, you've got to make some changes. and you know, it's hard. You know, I look out there and say, yeah, I've got to learn how to control my emotions. I've got to learn how to love other people. I've got to learn how to forgive other people. Um, I had problems before the Passover. And and I thought about it uh, the second day of Unleavened Bread. And I thought, you know, I've got to get rid of that. I have to... Uh, I've got to change. I can't eat the bread and I can't be like Christ and carry animosity every day. Because if I'm doing that, then I'm only complying with Scripture by eating unleavened bread. I'm not committed. I've got to be committed to doing that. And so I had to get on my knees and say, God, I forgive them. I you're the you're the Avenger and <laughs> you're gonna to have to take and step in and resolve these problems because I can't. I want them to be a part of your way of life. And so on that second day I'm saying there, Am I complying with scripture or am I committed all the way in doing what God wants and each one of us has the same problem we have the same thing we have to do take Abraham God promised him a son (laughs) waited until he was a hundred years old gave him a son gave him one before that but that wasn't the son that he was supposed to have And finally, gave him the son and said, This child will build a nation on it. And I will be reconciled to that nation with this son. And then God said, Do you love me, Abraham? That's a good question. He asked that of each one of us Uh, "Do, Do you love me? He says. So Abraham, if you really love me, then you will go out there and kill your child. I mean, let's sit back and think about this. Wait a minute. I thought this many years ago, many times. I thought, which one of my eight children am I willing to go out there and shoot or cut their head off or cut their heart out or whatever it is that God wanted? Which one? Would I do it with my daughter who sits here? With my oldest son or my other daughter and in, in, uh, other children, or which one would I pick? But luckily for me, God didn't say, "If you love me, you'll kill your child." No, God didn't do that. He just said, "If you love me, you you will change the way you live." How about David? You know, you talk about coming against a a wall. Maybe God said to 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 David, he came up there and they were having this battle, and this massive guy, maybe fourteen feet tall. David was probably nine ten. I mean, five feet ten inches, not nine ten. The other way around, five feet ten inches. So he's just a short guy. You know, he's a. He's coming up against this massive thing. And God says, if you love me, you go take him out. Everybody else thought he was stupid. But David trusted God. David wanted to be with God. He wanted to reconcile himself with God. So he went out there with a sling and a couple of stones. Didn't kill him with the stone. Now, what killed the giant? The sword when David cut his head off. So, when God says to you or to me, do you love me? Put your name in there. I can say, "God saying to me, Nelson, do you love me? Where will you go? What will you change? Going back to what I started to say earlier, in when Sharnel read that verse that Charlotte liked, And she lived this way. She used to get on to me time to time. Let me tell you, more than once she would say, that's a good person there. They're good people. They can do good things. Look at what they find something good that that person does. (laughs) Because that is a pearl of great price. And so Paul... As he went through all the Philippians, he gets to the final part, he said, finally, my brethren. He said, you want to be reconciled to God? Do this. Look for what's truth. I mean, it's, it's sometimes difficult to find the truth. If you see an accident, five people or ten people see an accident, They have to take everybody's view of the accident, put them together, sort it out to really find what truth is. But what is truth? The Bible. God's Word. So we know automatically truth is what's in the Scriptures. So when you hear things, can it be backed up by Scripture? Because that's truth. So he said, you want to be reconciled to me? Look for truth. Look for the honest things in people. Again, that becomes a pearl because if you look for what's honest in a person or what's just in the person, you're not looking for what's not honest and what's unjust. It's easy to find injustice, but you're looking for the best part of people what's pure and what's lovely and what's of good report. If there's any virtue or any praise. That's where we begin to think. And so, going through unleavened bread, did we do that? Did we look out there and say, yeah, we're having difficulties here and there are those that have, have given us some headache, but do they do some good things? Well... Maybe it's God working behind the scenes and we just don't realize it. We just don't realize it. In Romans 12, verse 9, we're said it's told to us, Let love be without dissemination and abhor that which is evil and cleave to the good. What's dissemination? <laughs> I kind of wonder that because of what's been going on around me what's going on in my mind, what happens in me. Dissemination is a form of deception in which one conceals the truth. And I say, well, let's see where I stand in this. I I want to be reconciled to God. Do I produce deception? Am I concealing the truth? Uh... It consists of concealing the truth in or in the case of half-truths. Sometimes we don't 100% cover the truth, but we can make it half-truths. We can have some truth and some error. That's why God wants us to stay with Him because it's, it's He has the truth. And abhorring is to detest, utterly detest things. So we don't want to have half-truths. We don't want to conceal who we are. And sometimes we do that. This dissemination is giving a false appearance. And we should come to the point in our life that we utterly detest of wrong things, and want to go and do things God's way. In first uh, chapter twelve, verse ten, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. So we want to be reconciled to God. As you go through past, if you eat that unleavened bread, I know it's past. It's been a week ago. But go back and think, how'd I do? Ask yourself. How do I do? How have I fared with these things? Do I have brotherly love? Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Is my trying to be close to Christ fervent? Or is it half-hearted? Or am I (laughs) disseminating? Rejoice. Do I rejoice in hope? And patience and tribulation, all the things we discussed earlier. How do I stand? That's what it gets down to. I want to be like Christ. Passover, Christ and the Father. They they did their part. Going through unleavened bread gave me the opportunity to go through my part. I should have gone every day and thought about Philippians four eight because my wife believed that. She she lived that way. And I struggled, you know, I try to do that, but if somebody opposed me the wrong way then I fell fell off. But I should have every day ate that bread and said as I did two or three times during that Seven days of unleavened bread. Sat there and think, this is Christ. Let's see. Christ didn't sin. What were my thoughts this morning? What were my thoughts last night? What are my thoughts right now? Yeah, my thoughts aligned with Christ's thoughts. Paul told us that we should capture every thought. Daryl said that time and time again. He's read that scripture to us. And I know that many times I haven't captured all my thoughts. And so going through unleavened bread, eating that bread, am I like Christ? Am I wanting to be reconciled to Christ? Do I want to look like Him? Do I want to not be His enemy? In James, we're given some more encouragement to becoming reconciled to God. In James 3, verse 13, "...who is a wise man and endured with knowledge among you. Let him show out of the good conversation, or his good actions, his works with meekness and wisdom." So it's a requirement. goes back to what I read earlier. Work out your own salvation. We have seven days to look at our life. Now we've gone another seven days. Can I look back and say, how did I do? How did I do? But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts... Glory not and lie not against the truth. So don't go up there and try to confuse yourself and say, well, it's the other person's fault. No, it's not. Nobody has the key to your salvation but you and Christ. This wisdom descends not from above. What wisdom? Bitterness, envying, strife, uh, anything against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly and selfish, uh, sensual, and devilishness. In other words, if we allow these things to give in our mind, we are m- making ourselves aligned with Satan. There's only Like Mr. Armstrong said, there's two ways of life. God's way, or the way of man and Satan. And you've got to make the choice. And if it's of man and Satan, it's devilish. Because he goes on in verse 16, "...for where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work." So if there is strife, if we have the wrong thoughts, the wrong mindset, there's confusion and evil work. And God is not a God of confusion. God builds up. Satan tears down. God is organized. Satan is disorganized. Satan doesn't want God's way. In chapter 4, verse 5. Do you think that the Scripture said in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? Our human nature is envious. Our human nature is to find fault with another person. Our human nature is to point the finger. Not realizing when you point pointing your finger, you've got three pointing back at yourself. But we don't want to realize that. But He gives more grace. God does. Christ does. Gives more grace whereon God said He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He wants us to be humble. When we humble ourselves in front of God, when we're willing to turn our life around, when we're willing to make a change in our life, then we're going to be reconciled to God. Unleavened Bread gave us seven days to analyze our life. To work at reconciling ourselves to God. It's hard. We eat Christ. We eat or should have thought that and so you got a year coming up. But you don't have to wait till next year you need to do it now you need to continue every day making sure that you're not the enemy of God and we do that specifically by loving God and loving God's creation and loving people so Where do you stand? Are you a person wanting to be reconciled because it's what you want? It's in your heart, in your mind, and your life. Or are you just complying? You're fearful and I know this has happened to a lot of people, they're fearful that if they don't keep the Sabbath, if they don't do this, if they don't do that, then they're going to go to the lake of fire. Well, maybe they won't go to the lake of fire, but they will go to tribulation. But if they're only complying, then think about tribulation. But if you are committed then your life is going to be, hey, I am going to reconcile myself to God. I'm going to go through the Scriptures. I'm going to go back and read Galatians 5.22, which is God's Spirit, the fruits of God's Spirit. I'm going to go back and read Galatians. I'm going to go back and read Romans. I'm going to go back and change. So you have to ask yourself today, Do I want to be reconciled to God? He wants to be reconciled to you. And how badly do I want to reconcile to God? The ball is in your court. God loves you. He wants to say to you, and put your name there, He says to me, Nelson, do you love me? If you do, you'll change